Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. All right, y'all, just a little bit about this episode before we get into it. This is atypical uh, from what our normal show is like. Our normal show, uh, we're discussing tech news topics, uh, delicious tech news of the morning, etc. This is a conversation that I wasn't really sure where to publish it, but I figured I would put it here because it seemed like this audience might be interested. So Kurt Bunker reached out, he's working on a project, and he wanted me to interview him about what the project was so he could get some practice. He ended up talking about a lot of things like tech burnout, having a um, mental breakdown and reboot, um, substance abuse, uh, a lot of technology involved in the children's stories and uh, media that that he's creating that I think you would all find fascinating. So if that's what you want to get into, if you want to listen, go ahead. I would urge you to dig into this very interesting episode. Otherwise, you can skip it and go right along to the rest of the uh, the other episodes that we typically record. But I think you'll find that you really enjoy listening. Oh, forgive me also for the awkward start. We were just chatting and he told me he wanted to record it. So I just hit record and we just kind of carried into the conversation. So that's why it might be a little bit confusing as to what's going on right out of the gate, but you'll pick it up quick. All right. Enjoy. You know, I think a lot of people from my previous life when I was working a ton as a chief architect for a, a Delvar in the Pacific Northwest, there's a, there's just a ton of people who want to understand what's going on in my life. But after the trauma that I went through, the, the amount of emotional regulation and stress and anxiety I go through is like tenfold. And I don't want to okay. go into all the okay. background and, and diagnoses and, and the... I don't know, the legitimacy of diagnoses versus just, to, you know, picking yourself up and saying, I need to help myself. And that trauma in like 80 to 90% of cases, it's achievable to move past it. It's not something that is a lifelong thing. Right. And so, so Aaron, I've got dozens, if not hundreds of people who, when they even ping me um, because of the way I collapsed in the middle of the workspace and Everybody was kind of wondering what was going on with me. And because things got, you know, hard, very hard for me, my company asked a lot of people um, probably to not reach out to me. And so over the last 18 months, as I've been healing, I started by Frostbridge Studios as a result of kind of having a mental collapse and trying to reboot myself and provide for, you know, a family. It's hard with autistic children and and, uh, and things like that, you know, there's a lot of fear associated around that. And so the biggest thing for me, Aaron, is I want to get back out into the world. The pandemic hit at a very opportune time for me. That is such a weird thing to say. I'm sorry. Let me, <laughs> we're going to edit this or if I ever use this, uh, the no, pandemic. man, <laughs> don't, don't, um, dude. So first, first off, I, I felt like you're, I feel like you're invalidating a lot of the things that you're saying right after you say them, you know, yeah. um, there was. So you've, you've touched on so much that I'm so curious. About. I know. And I, and I, and I, should, I, I should be mind, writing this stuff down as you my say. My mind runs. And that's why I'm afraid if a person like you who can moderate and, and keep a leash around technologists who love to rant and things like that, you know, what happens next week when the paper gets, you know, I've pushed my interviews with the paper and some other podcasts several times. Yeah. And Aaron, I, I can't even, you know, the idea of just doing this over video, which was my original thought, desire, intent, and then I'm glad we didn't go there because 
I just can't emotionally regulate, brother. Like I used to be so strong. I used to be able to get up on work whiteboards in front of CIOs and CEOs and transform companies and talk about digital things, transformation, all that. And yeah. now I, I cry sometimes when I'm happy and I cry sometimes it's either fear or extreme excitement and opportunity in my life because there's so much going on in the world and so sure. many ways for me to build this this company underneath myself so I don't have to I want to go back to technology on my footing right I used to be very known in the Pacific Northwest industry whether good or bad for that person that would kind of burst into the room I could absorb through through metrics and and quantitative capability very quickly people's environment I can visually see and if I couldn't I'd go into a sensory depth chamber after I consumed everything and then just sit for an hour and float and I could troubleshoot and I could get hospitals back online when baby monitors were down because core network uplifts collapsed everything. You know, I could do these things and I just can't do them anymore. And I live in this, this world where I create and I, and I, and I, and I try to bring passions to life and I try to, you know, and I'm engaging with dozens, if not 50 or a hundred consultants at a time, but it's all over text and voice sure. files that I send to people because I can't even get my ideas fast out fast enough on a, on a keyboard. So there, that's my rant. And as I, I, I can I yeah, imagine myself as I'm going, the other person sitting on the other side going, God, shut up and let's talk about what, you know, the, no, about, you no, know? no, 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 not even man. I, so there's a lot of like really deep things that you said that I connected with immediately. Yeah. Having gone through what I went through. And so it made me want to spend 20 minutes talking about each of those things. Well, you moved through them real quick. But what, what you said there was there was a few things that you said like like official diagnosis or you know maybe it's just in my head and I need to you know I need to just pick myself up or whatever yeah. just even that piece right there I think people connect with yeah but I also would just say like don't invalidate you know what you're I don't know what you're experiencing what you're going through whatever well I'm trying to figure it out and and the reason yeah. that I want to talk and the reason that so many people the ones that I am close enough to from my previous life that I can reach out to and have conversations without having this extreme sensitivity around, you know, um, interrupting and, 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 and just being so excited. I, I bowl over the conversation and things like that. Right. It's, it's sure. the ones that I have talked to have told me you have to talk to other people. There's so many people on, on the fringes of communication right now, asking for help or reaching out. And that I started in social work before I got into technology, Aaron. And so what I'm, one of the reasons I wanted to talk today is to get it out fully with a, with a person versus a microphone. I have so much of this recorded staring at a wall, but sure. I started my career in social work, right? I started my career in social services because of all those things that I'm not ready to talk about today, but all that trauma yeah. and all that horrible childhood stuff. I wanted to help other kids. I didn't make it to the end of my practicum before I had my first collapse in life. I couldn't absorb. There was, Go ahead. So do you know Michael Stancliffe? No, let me write that down. At VM, yeah, at VM Stan. Oh yeah, yeah. I know the I know the tag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so look at his pinned tweet. Okay. There's a um, there's a blog that he wrote there about having. Uh, let's see. He said after two years in my drafts folder, it's finally uh, my turn to share depression, IT burnout, social media, imposter syndrome. The day well, my brain rebooted and my struggle to talk about it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to hear you say that, I hear him. You know, oh, I read that and it's so powerful. Um, so first of all, I want you to know you're not alone in that. I know. Um, second of all, 
like, again, you're not alone because there's other aspects that you were talking about that I completely relate to in, you know, having gone through the chemo stuff that I went through that took me, you know, I always kind of thought of myself as a very, very physically capable person. I was always in sports. I was always running and gunning and and just doing as much as I could all the time. And I'm, I'm slowly getting back to that as much as I possibly can. But dude, I, it's been three years now. Um, since I've kind of really even started coming out of it. Um, and for the longest time, I just was was like, yep, I, I'm fully incapable of anything I used to be able to do, right? Yep. Just to relate to what you were saying, yep. for years and years and years leading up to the diagnosis, I had I just spent tons and tons of time in front of customers, presenting, whiteboarding, all this kind of stuff. I could stand up, the drop of a hat, you know, call my name, tell me what the topic is, and I'll yep. just talk, right? Yep. And, and and kill it. And like no, no, you know, nerves, no physical feelings one way or another about it. Just stand up and own the room and be able to read it and all this kind of stuff. But then after going through that, man, I spent two years out of the like the sight of customers, yeah. you know, yep. and, it, and it, it, it just crushed me from that perspective. Not to mention the fact that like what chemo did to me and sorry this isn't all about me but i want to share something so that you can relate please (laughs) know that you're not yeah know know that know that this is happening all over the place right because when i shared all this stuff people would reach out to me all the time back then right when i was constantly saying and they're like sharing their deepest struggles physically mentally emotionally whatever but what it did to my nervous system the 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 chemo drugs my nervous system is very sensitive now. And so like, if I don't have enough water, I feel really weird. If I have like kind of the slightest bit of anxiety about something, where the tumor was in my spine, down, down through my legs, it, my legs kind of like get really tingly and numb wow. or like really weak. It's yeah. super strange, man. And I didn't discover that until I got back up in front of people trying to get back out in the and there was a presentation I was giving in front of a whole lot of people and I had to like sit down on the floor because <laughs> my legs like gave out. Like I was fine. Otherwise it was really weird. It was weird. Luckily there was a bar stool and I yeah, mine started so, six months before I, you know, before my company just told me to take time off and, and then uh, ultimately yeah. inpatient care. Mine got so bad. Um, and, and the, the solutions from insurance were so awful when you're at a place where you're just not sure what's going on with you and how to fix yourself. And you're very candid the way I am. I think that comes with my neurodiversity. I've been hesitant to get like formally diagnosed autistic and things like that, but it's, it's, it's very present. It's there, but it's very depressing for me to go through heavy, you know, um, diagnosis because, a lot of it, unfortunately, with the trauma, it's very hard to segregate what what is in, what is you know uh, what's manifesting in my behaviors daily from trauma versus just neurodiverse thinking and, and approaching things so so damn differently. And 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 sure. Aaron, to be, to be candid, in my old career, I was I was how do I put it in a nice way? I worked with wonderful people and, and great clients and things like that, but I was a money machine because. I don't do anything except out of passion. And you can imagine what Alaska looked like 15, well, about 12 years ago. You know, power costs were 50, 50 cents a kilowatt hour in most regions of Alaska. And so virtualization, I went from working for NASA doing satellite imagery, mapping Antarctica and supporting super high speed networks. I only had 50 wow. users, but they were multi-PhD rocket scientists. Try, try supporting FUDs, as we call them. They know more about IT than you do, but they don't. 
right? I know more about Excel and algorithms and and things like that. So anyway, I went from that very strange, it's like supporting doctors, brilliant people to, you know, kind of coming out into a world where, and we had to virtualize. We got down to our last rack in an Alaskan data center, unlimited NASA funding, blah, blah, blah. Not unlimited, but you get what I'm saying. You've, you've worked yeah. you know, with probably public sector clients as sweaty wads of yep. cash, right? And so, <laughs> sweaty wads of cash. That's well, that's, right. that's the, as good as it gets, right? I love, I love as good as it gets. And I love when Jack Nicholson makes it really clear to Greg Kinnear, or I'm sorry, his father, when he's explaining what his last relationship with his father was. Here's all your money. Don't come back. And that's how public sector works. Here's your budget. Don't come back to us whining, you know? And so we had to virtualize out of necessity on GSX. And so what happened is I got these extreme exposure skill sets, you know, 10 to 12 years ago around VMware. And it instantly opened up my career to kind of do anything I needed to do. But I ended up staying in Alaska because this is my home and virtualizing practically every school district. You know, we worked a lot in the city. Uh, a lot in the, you know, uh, high ed and state and local. And so just went around just doing marvelous things for people. It was so amazing, Aaron, to watch, um, come back a week or two later and watch a simple virtualization environment back when it was just a, a feat to get 50 VMs on, you know, a three node cluster and, and, and free up all the rack space and cooling and transform these small businesses. And it felt like I was back in social work again, helping people. Yeah. And then I got into, you know, the more stressful architecting, the, you know, the NSX on the horizon for a lot of customers trying to re-architect their entire SDN, uh, you know, mentality, bringing micro segments. Things just got super stressful. And every time I was in front of clients, it seemed to be um, their lack of ability to digitally transform from a from an HR perspective, from a from a mm-hmm. culture perspective, was killing projects. And because I was the front man, the one everybody loved to talk to, because I could sling facts, and everybody knew that ninety nine percent of the time I was incapable of lying. They could just ask me questions in the hallway, and I tried the best way I could to make sure that customer and my own salespeople and staff and all that or whatever you know at the company were doing well and try. And it was like I was playing this counseling role. Grievance counselor is what I called my role with customers. And then I got into uh, helping a customer with um, with incident handling. We had a state local government com- completely encrypted. We call it boroughs here in Alaska. And the borough was like 98% encrypted, everything gone. It was all Dell infrastructure. So they brought me in to kind of bring back to life and 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 work with the FBI. And per your guys' comments around crypto, you know, it's so funny what happens in the background. Well, you know, the conversations with the three-letter government organizations and yeah. and what actually is the outcome. It was disastrous. It was absolutely disastrous. And there was very little help at all for for this this borough. Tax records. I mean. I don't even want to continue talking about it. I'm, I'm past the. Well, that's fine. Let's let's switch the uh, let's yeah. switch the game up here a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you want to do because I don't know how you might want to use this audio in the future, right? Yeah. I I tend to be a fan of just kind of record things and put them out there into the ether and let <laughs> let people let people experience them. Um, yeah. But uh, you wanted to come on and talk, and you wanted me to ask you simply. What is Gaia's seed and yeah. why are you making it? Yeah. Which, by the way, before you even answer that question, thank you for sending the book. Um, yeah. I've got four daughters that have loved looking at that thing. I don't even know. Like, I'd love for you to talk about how the animation is done and yeah. where this all came from in your mind. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I don't have any shame it's to phenomenal. do it. So we, we've laid the groundwork of, of kind of what got me here. And um, so... Yeah. 
So I opted to uh, go to inpatient care to remove all stressors from my life and reboot, basically. And it was a mind, body, and soul, if you will, right? It was an institute not where they're focusing on medication. In fact, I completely removed myself from the temporary medication I was using that was making problems worse. So I get there. I have a month of yoga, vegan diet nature walks. I mean, I mean, it's not all, you Dude, know, that sounds like, awesome. Oh, it was amazing. Do you want to talk more about that before we get into it? I mean, I don't, yeah. you know, you, you said yeah. what you wanted me to ask <laughs> you, but, but I'm fascinated by this other piece too. Um, because oh, I, I know anybody that's listening to this is going to relate to that. And I'm sure there's many people that feel like they're on the verge of something like that. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to talk about what happened? I do. I do. So the, the, the manifestation of what's called complex trauma, right? When it's childhood based and it's uh, multiple incident and it's, you know, I'm not ashamed. Uh, you know, I lived in a very abusive home and then ended up turning to a, a darker life to, support addiction at a very, very young age, you know, in my early teens, living on the streets, things like that. And then I pulled myself back out, had my first reboot in life after I got out of a youth facility. Um, where how I, did you do that? Can I slow you down? Yeah. I don't know how much time you have. or how deep you want to go in this. this is one of the most important conversations of my month, my year, just to have somebody who cares to listen and to be able to get all these things. I got all the time you have, and we can do part two if you need. So ask any question you want. Yeah, man. Well, I have an hour right now. So when we yep. get to the top of this hour, I got to jump. But yep. yeah, let's, so let's slow down on that a little bit. Okay. So, okay. Wow. Um, so you're a, a teenager, I think you said. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, some sort of substance abuse. Yep. How did you break out of that? What, what, what happened? Well, I wasn't able to. The addiction and the, the, the desire to kind of hide from the life that I was in without really any parents around. We were kind of raising ourselves in the, in the, in the, um, in Alaska, there's a lot of slope workers. And if you don't have a, you know, two parent family slope worker, a lot of times in the old days before child protective services was diligent, would just go up North for weeks at a time and could leave the kids behind. So, you know, um, we, we had a, my dad worked a lot. A ton. So I got to pause you again, man. Yeah. Sorry. Slope yeah. worker, meaning working oh, the like, this, like a ski slope or what? Sorry. The oil fields, the slope of Alaska is, is where all the okay. money in Alaska comes from. Sorry. Gotcha. Yeah. No, you're fine. I just, I want to make sure that everything translates to yeah. any listeners and myself. Cool. Cool. So, so basically, um, you know, learn to fend for myself a lot. And as I've gone through a lot of self-reflection, a lot of therapy, a lot of nonviolent communication training, things like that, um, I've started to realize that it puts you into fight or flight mode all the time. Food scarcity, we'd spend all the money sometimes and there wouldn't be food for a day, day and a half, you know, uh, just a lot of scarcity in my life and fear triggered response capability. Um, fast forward to, you know, I go into the a youth facility um, for committing petty crimes to basically fuel a drug habit because the drugs make you, you know, forget, makes the anxiety, the, the stimulus go away. If the, the dopamine hits are kind of necessary, what got me out of that is literally being locked up. When they brought me in front of the court, I pled guilty to everything as a young teenager. And in Alaska, they can't sentence you longer back in those days as a young child that couldn't sentence you longer than two years. So I just said, I think I need two years to get my life straight. I ended so up you're what, 15, 16. Yeah, I was 14. Um, 14. Okay. I was 14 at the time and living on the streets, what was going on in my life was just, it was better to be in a, and remember it's, it's, um, it's definitely rehabilitation. It's not punitive. I was, I'm a, sorry, I'm a justice minor. So I always try to dissect the justice system. 
Um, it's, it's very much rehabilitative and it's some of the best time of my life. My mom could visit me once a week. Um, I went from being way behind educationally to way ahead. I think I finished like 27 correspondence courses in the course of nine months. So I did like two or three years of high school level. Um, so I could get back to graduating with friends and things like that. And then basically that was kind of the first major reboot of my life. I came out, didn't want to talk to any old friends, any old life. And I just started plowing into education so I could try to make my way to college. And, you know, I get into social work um, as a, as a, you know, it's very common for people that have had highly, you know, uh, <laughs> have had a rough life to want to help others. You know, I, I've sure. dissecting the whole Messiah complex. I never thought about that. Oh, it's so common. You go into social work classes, half the people in the room have felt some type of very, yeah. Uh, impactful event in their life that makes them a lot of times they worry that there can be a complex created by that. Like I know how to fix other people because I fixed myself. And so that's something I'm sure. very self-reflective about when I try to give advice or people ask me questions. It's so huh. personal what people go through, you know? Yeah. I mean, that makes complete sense. Like, um, I used to try to get involved in some cancer support groups in person, just having gone through it and want to go encourage other people. And yeah, it's very common, very common. High percentage of those types of people have gone through cancer themselves as well. Yep. So yep. it makes complete sense. Yeah. So I, I get, um, you know, I get a second chance. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to maintain it. I know that now, but I've met the most wonderful woman in my life. You know, I only dated one other, one other girl in my lifetime. And Jenny, I think, was 17 when we met and I was 18. So it was the end of high school. I'd managed to keep things on the rails and, and kind of skirt uh, any... Um, <laughs> tempting of my addictive personality. And basically... You did go back to high school then, right? I mean, oh, I yeah, I went back to high school, graduated with my class. It was very uncomfortable for about a year because for the first year after you graduate, they kind of demand that you not uh, be in contact with anybody that you've used with or bought from or anything like that. So it was a very lonely year of kind of slinking around a high school in Alaska with, you know, maybe three, 400 kids, maybe, I don't know, maybe five, 600, but small enough to where everybody pretty much knew everybody's name. And so that was a little rough, but um, isolation, uh, if you have passions, is a very important time for, for creatives. Isolation, if you don't have passions, is a very uh, you know depressing time in my mind. And so I was able to really throw myself into um, education and catching up and, and getting college courses done ahead of time. And then I had the benefit of meeting Jenny. And Jenny and I come from completely opposite lives, right? beaver cleaver family and and uh when i took her name my name's actually knutson when i took my wife's last name of bunker we'd always joke you know the archie bunker that i learned about after taking her name you know her family is is kind of the the, the polar opposite of that right so sure. it was uh it was interesting because we have these different worlds like when we raise children Aaron, like she sees the magnificence of what the kids can do and I see all the fears in my head and ways of trying to skirt things without helicopter parenting and help them learn the lessons quicker or harder or whatever gets them, you know, through the hard stuff first. So it's very interesting from a parenting style. I'm obviously not neurotypical either. So I've got, got a lot of factors that uh, make me and Jenny this, this kind of opposites attract type of uh, relationship. Can I ask you, how do you define neurodiverse or neurotypical? Boy, so I've stopped using the term autistic or on the spectrum exclusively as the world has adopted neurodiversity as a terminology in the last year. 
Um, so, so for me, I'm still trying to narrow down on it, but, um, but where, let me give you some, some ideas from, from how I write. Um, so go to, I I went to this month long, uh, intake with, uh, with, with Chopra. I'm, I'm, there's no, I can't talk about the people there or anything like that, but there's no, there's no, uh, confidentially, confidentially around that. It was in Canada. Um, and basically, uh, when I went there, I started taking all of my kids ideas that I'd hear. And from the classrooms, I do a lot of reading in classrooms and I go to a, I mean, we have seven to eight therapy appointments a week just for the kids, speech therapy, physical therapy, uh, you know, um, very important is occupational therapy with autism. I get, I I get that. I I have a kid that we, we do that with her as well. Yep. So expressive receptive language disorder. So it's like dyslexia, but verbally it's, it's let me write that down. I haven't heard that before. Say it again. Expressive language, expressive receptive language disorder. Okay. Nice. Is that like a sensory pro one of the defined SPDs? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I don't, I don't okay. know what a, an SPD is. Sorry. A sensory processing disorder is, um, yeah, basically yes. autism is defined in the DSM five, the brand new diagnostic diagnostic manual that's come out in the last year or two. It's defined by a cluster of those. So like high functioning autistic or, you know, it's always changing. Oh, if SPD is defined as autistic, I don't know that nope. she's nope. Autistic. autistic is eight to, well, I think, uh, uh high functioning is like, a, a cluster of seven, eight, nine of them and okay. regular diagnosis of autism, I think is like 12 plus. Yeah. So when she was like three, she would stand there in a group of people and have a conversation, but it's just straight gibberish coming out. But she <laughs> felt in her heart, she yeah. was telling you something, yes. right? Okay. You know, and then when, like, this is what my kids do, but they communicate with each other. And that's where my stories come from. Sorry, back to you. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and so when she started to learn words, she just started plugging in words yeah. that, that, that made no sense, yep. right. Or weren't true. And then she started getting words that were close, like really close to what she meant, but were completely like, she would go sit at the table in, in the kitchen at the, or sit, sit on the chair in the, uh, in the kitchen, but she would call it a couch or something like yeah. that. Right? Yeah. So it's like, it doesn't really make sense at all, but it makes sense. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. Um, and, and she's making a lot more progress lately. She's six uh, yeah. by the way. Right now, so. so Aaron, that's so important. Uh, one of the things, the reason our kids are mainstreamed, I mean, we're homeschooling them this year, but there's, there's, oh, there's so many topics, but let me just, this one's so important. Um, we early, early help and assistance is so important. The ostrich mentality just doesn't get very far with sensory processing disorders and things yeah. that can just dynamically shape and morph throughout a child, uh, you know, throughout a child's development cycle. It's just so important not to say, I don't want my kid labeled here. I am the guy that, you know, I've had doctors recently wonder if I'm bipolar because of how even through an hour long conversation, I go up and down through excitement phases and fear like I think they called it like stage two trauma induced bipolar disorder or something. But like I go through cycles, even in a conversation versus throughout days or months or weeks. But again, the more that I go towards official diagnosis, the more that people say things that make sense that you just kind of want to tag on, you know, I got an anxiety disorder. I got this. And, and the point that I'm really, you know, that I'm trying to make is, um, it's a very personal discovery and it's the reason I'm so emotionally attached to doing this at Bifrost and kind of finding a way to, to talk about what, what I'm going through is Aaron, I've had all the resources that I, I, I not all the resources I've need. This has been very, very, very tough journey for me, but 
I was able to go, no, I don't like what insurance is offering me. It almost sounds like they want to put me in a straitjacket or something because I've admitted that I don't feel safe to myself and my family. And I don't sure. like this mentality. And we started looking up other alternative options, you know, not too far to the hippie side. Um, and, and bam, you sit and you read the philosophies around what Deepak Chopra put together, you know, his programs for. And it's like, choose your own adventure, right? You don't want to focus on spirituality. That's fine while you're here. There's no one spirituality, but you want to you want to focus on physicality. You want to get back into stress relief from if that's one of your, you know, medications that you need to, to lift yourself back up, you know? So I'm just less into the pill. It seems like the pill is always following the diagnosis. And after years of living um, completely free of any mind altering type of substance, you know, a drug is a drug. Yeah. I and, get it. and having I get it. done irresponsible things like tested Adderall, a friend had some, and I was like, okay, I, I know I've got some AD, ADD in here, but I think it's actually, um, there's a very famous guy from Oracle that kind of started coining this term in the IT industry. And it's basically restless brain syndrome. It's the idea that it's not that you can't focus. Aaron, I can focus on like, I'm tracking five conversations with you right now. Like I want to right. help four others. Like I can't, <laughs> that brain can adequately. I feel like I'm the same way though. Yes. I, I mean, I'm, I'm the yes. same way. I think there's, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I tend to be attracted to minds like that too, that can, yeah. that can bounce and, and track several things. And then we jump around and come back and all that kind of stuff. So, and the ones that aren't yeah, afraid man. to be told, like I had a, a friend who would just literally, if I got into a mode, like, like where I get, he'd just hit a button on the phone during con calls and even with customers there. And then, they, then I would be able to self deprecate and go, sorry guys, I sometimes can't control myself and we're not on track. Let's go this other direction. <laughs> and now like I see myself trying to bring, you know, we're creating as a family, just dozens of projects. Like I said, I, I, it's so funny what the world may think we're doing versus what we're doing. And, and it reminds me of like a startup. It reminds me of like, you know, what's Cisco doing with Project California? And then UCS hits and the world changes. And what is what is Project Dimension at Dell? And how are they going to, you know, figure out the monetization and the MRR of, of how to put infrastructure as a service out there? You know, those type of things remind me of all the projects that I'm working on because I don't want to go back to technology per se as a career right now, because I feel like I'm, uh, I guess the word would be unstable and, and, you know, crying sets people off. I literally can't contain my emotions sometimes and things are so important or they're so uh, emotionally charged for me. Um, sure. I've learned to stop, even if it makes other people uncomfortable, stop suppressing who I am. I did it for 20 years till my next reboot. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and you, I think you were touching on it too. Some of the remote work stuff has been really great Wonderful. for that fact, you know, yeah. even if you get back into that, you know, everything is remote, right? And if you have to step away and grab a tissue or whatever, yeah. it is way uh, maybe less uh, awkward for you and them or whatever if there's like 300 miles between the two of you exactly. talking over a phone. Um, you said something else earlier I, I, I wanted to um, – Two, two things real quick. Yep. You mentioned um, drugs following a di diagnosis. Yep. It made me, sorry, there's so many things I'm connecting with you on, man. It's it's kind of crazy. But, I love it. Um, there, so leading up to my diagnosis, and I, I sometimes wonder how I was so blind to this, but I had drugs stacking up to help manage my pain. Ugh. Issues I was having from a, a, a pain perspective, um, you know, um, you know, physically, neurologically, just stuff like that with a tumor growing on your spine. Yeah. 
that I, that I, if I look back at it now, you know, it's so easy to Monday morning quarterback, but it's like, how did I not see that there was yeah. something massively wrong with me? Yeah. And there's so many other things too. Like I wasn't able to eat more than four bites without being in level 11 pain. Like just uh-huh. so many things that it, it's like, why did I wait, you know, as long as I did to, to get some help. But so this um, ping pong is excellent. Even that, let, me, let me say just something really important. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's just so important. I want no, it's to fine. Yeah. I look back at everything from my friends and family and clients and everybody from the outside, you know, that I, I just briefly share something with. It's almost like you're scared to share with people because you think they're going to instantly light some alarm. And it's like, okay, I'm pooping blood, right? I threw, I can't figure out why I'm throwing up so much and so easily. I'd thrown my stomach up through my diaphragm. I have a hiatal hernia. I haven't taken care of that yet because I've been, I'm sleeping two hours a night. I'm, I mean, everything is just out of freaking control related to helping yeah. yourself. You don't need a pill for it. And the, and the, the transformation, Aaron, in the, in the course of 60 to 90 days, I get a CPAP, I get scoped. I figure out, I mean, it's important sometimes to go and get these, these, these medical appointments. And that's why don't even get me into politics and Medicare and how I was able to help myself versus how the average person back to what I was saying. I feel like I had all the, the capabilities to help myself and other people don't right now. And God, Aaron, you know, I figured out everything through a battery of tests and I had these doctors just look me in the eye after they realized how candid I am and, 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 and just, I don't pull any punches and they all just kind of looked me in the eye and said, you're going to be dead in 10 years if you don't. Like the stomach doctor specifically is like your stomach, your, your, your track going down your throat and up the other side are, it's like a barren desert of stress and death. And you, I mean, you, you the hemorrhoids are not down far enough. Do you even realize? I didn't even know I had them. He's like, you have clusters all along your intestines. What's coming next are fissures and diverticulitis. And sometimes is this just, before you walked away, this from is technology? before I walked away. Yeah. Okay. This is before I went and sought inpatient care. Uh, but th- that type of that type of just the diagnosis, let alone having a human look you in the eye when you're saying, "I want to help myself," what do I do? And they're telling you, "This is really bad. You need to you need to reboot, right? You need to get away from sugars. You need to get away from processed foods." You know, it's not the the, the chastising you know fad diet that that anybody was telling me. They're just like like why you know why is your body so so starved. It's like you're in constant adrenaline. And it's funny because so much of everything that I do, Aaron, comes back to fear. One simple word. Look at our politics. I know. Never mind. We don't want to get anywhere near that. But look at the world (laughs) and fear right now, right? I don't know what you're talking about. Is there like an election or something? Uh, So, (laughs) yeah. And I'm sure you've seen enough of my tweets to know I'm Yang Gang. So I have no candidate other than, so yeah, I don't want to get into that. I just want to help people. What, what drew me to Gaia's seed to kind of loop everything back here for a second is yeah. while I'm sitting there helping myself and meditating twice a day and just doing all these great things for myself, you know, phone, like the addictions were so bad watching people come in the door. It's like, is it going to be cigarettes that sends them through the roof first? Cause they, they've already done opium or opioid withdrawal. Many of these people that have trauma have addictions as well. And so you see them come through the door and you realize really quickly, like sugar, how bad sugar is for people and how quickly they start rebelling. It's beyond even nicotine or like 10 day withdrawn opioids, right? So you're in this environment. All these people are kind of agitated. You're, you don't know who you can trust. So you kind of go inside yourself to figure things out. And I start for after a three to four year break, I start writing and creating kids books again. So what I did when my children at two and three, like your daughter, you start, you know, in, in Luke's case, our, our, our oldest, he was one and a half. 
and he started speaking in different languages to us, made up languages. And he started doing all these echo look like localia, all these different signs of SPDs, sensory processing disorders. And so we start reading a lot of Temple Grandin's work. It's funny that Kanye West called out, forgot her name, couldn't figure out who she was, but called her out because of her contributions into the cattle industry and things like that. So it's funny how autism is just, when you look for it, it's weaving its way in and out of so many things when you're kind of tuned into it. And so so what happened, Aaron, is I basically, they had a whiteboard sitting in the corner of the meditation room that was kind of leaning against a wall. And I just got it out, put it on the floor. And it was like one of those moments like Picasso. I, never mind. That sounds like arrogance. It's one of those moments where you see wow, dude. wild hey. ideas start flinging stuff at a surface, you know? Time out, though. Yeah. You got it. You got to. I, I want to ask you to stop, like, deprecating yourself, you know? Like, don't discount your feelings. Don't discount who you are. Like, if you're going to say you're, you're going to stay true to yourself, okay. you know, own that. And it Thank is a moment like that. It is. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? I, sorry. So, the word I, I wish I could erase from my. From my <laughs> yeah. So we're going to see. We're no, at 35 just, minutes. We're going to see in the next 20 if I can do it without a sorry. <laughs> okay. So it is, it's a, it's a, it's a moment. It's a pivotal moment in your life like that. You know? Yeah. And I start writing again. I'd written 10 books. Uh, I, what I would do is the kids would identify something visually, or usually it was fan fiction. They'd love something in star Wars or Yoshi, and they could speak a language around it together. And I'd sit and I would just observe them as they'd make all these noises and chirps and sounds and, and play out like they were Jedi or play out like they were, you know, uh, inside of these stories. And then what I do is uh, the fine motor skills weren't great with, uh, especially with Luke. And so I would trace out one picture per page and we'd just dedicate one paragraph. And so I'd, I'd trace it out and put it on the, you know, the drawing table. They were young kids and they'd, they'd sit down, color it in. I'd take a picture of it and then we'd come up with, with a text. And I was doing this because I was creating social stories. My kids weren't aware of their own behaviors. So my very first iPad, very first iPad ever sold, I grabbed and I'd use it to just record my children and then play it back. So they'd go, huh, like I act that way or I do that, you know? And yeah. so I learned how to create social story driven books that are very linear and very, this page is about this part of the story. And then it skips and doesn't transition well, because I noticed that my kids transition very abruptly and easily, and they preferred that method. So you fast forward, I got 10 coffee table books I've never published. Um, I'm sitting here in Chopra. I'm, I'm believing in myself again. I'm, uh, I'm really discovering the concept. If you get away from all the cheesiness, the self-love, like I, I had no love for myself, total doubt. And as I started building that up, this whiteboard exploded from, I was collecting all these ideas subconsciously because I sit in the waiting rooms while my kids are in therapy sessions and I get on a whiteboard and color for the kids and gather ideas. I'm always gathering ideas from neurodiverse children and it all just exploded. And this, this whiteboard that's probably, I don't know, six feet wide by four feet tall contained keywords. I'll always keep that picture. I'm going to come back to it one day. Every word on there is like 10 pages of story. So I wrote the whole book on one whiteboard, but only my mind can read it. And for the last year and a half, I've been hiring and testing and then hiring all these different people around the world on Fiverr, um, working in 32 different countries uh, right now with, with different artists. And I give them creative freedom and I, I get on a microphone because I found that just typing out the things that are in my mind, Aaron, they're just so much and they're so complex. So I get on a mic 
and I free flow. And if the people don't like my style, I instantly know that we can't partner, right? I, I work sure. for a bar. The word partner is very important to me because without it, the yeah. bar doesn't exist, right? That's right. So, so basically, I'm trying to, you know, partner and, and, and find people that can deal with me. They can just deal with me and I'm, I'm different. <laughs> And what I've found, Aaron, is I know you're my speed. It's so weird to hear you say that about yourself. Like, like, I don't know. You're my speed. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> so I've got all these leads, and it takes me a while to just get the um, the the. Once I know their first name, now we have a connection. So we go through this weird dance where I'm testing them. Are they going to be kind to me? I pour kindness all over them. Artists are treated like shit. They're never tipped. They just seem like they're always asked for a hundred revisions. Never treated well. And here I am, this nobody. And as I'm building up this 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 uh, this um, portfolio of of art that I give to every single person I onboard, that book that you showed to your daughters, that's how I onboard people. And now I have the yeah. YouTube video I sent you, or maybe I did or didn't. Anyway, I've I've got an hour and ten minute video of my voice guiding everybody through page by page that book because no, I, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, I gotta send it to you. Okay, so hold on, mark a note. Uh, so basically I created the video because I didn't, I fight against the, the, the advice in my life a lot, right? When I started out in the children's book industry, uh, children's book industry, there was all these rules. You can only have 800 words. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't, it's not a children's book. And I just said, you know, F this I'm self-publishing. I am in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody's listening anyway. I'm just going to do it my own way. And I'm tired of people telling me that transmedia storytelling is impossible because I keep JRPG makers, like think Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger. I'm, I'm developing games for Gaia Seed. Think Hero Quest, kind of like right wow. below Dungeons and Dragons, but above yeah. like a real RPG game. I'm developing a Hero Quest like a Gaia Seed game. I'm doing YouTube videos, 20 data science topics that tie into it. So I've got script writers who are getting it to animators to do a YouTube series. Then on top of that, I'm approaching Kickstarter. So I'm making holograms. I'm doing hard shit. They told me, you know, you can't make holograms. That's crazy. Anymore. You know, like comic card holograms don't exist. Holographic technology has moved to security, badges, IDs, things like that. And so I hire, I call him my fixer. I don't even know his, his first name, but he's this Hasidic Jewish fella from New York that knows how to like de decipher what I need. And he turns it into proposals, visual ones that I can read, but also other people can read because they're looking at the words of it more than the pictures. And then I bring that to people. And here I was banging my head against the wall. Why can't I find anybody that will print holograms and make comic cards again so I can have them as giveaways? And it's a nine by a three by three sheet. So it's nine holograms that fit together in an eight and a half by 11 kind of card sheet, um, baseball card sheet, if you will. And it makes yeah. one large picture. And so, so what I do is I just start deconstructing it. Now that I have people that can tell me he's a print specialist, this, this fella, and he, he basically just starts going and doing all the hard research for me. Because when I'm running this many projects at once, it is impossible to be too tuned in to each of them. My job is vision, direction, production, and keeping the world builder super busy so I can keep distributing documents to the games and video games and graphic novel writers to keep them not just on the same story. I don't want it retold three times. The, the love arcs are going into the video games because I can really do scene by scene capabilities there, right? The development yeah. of the of certain things are going into certain aspects of it. So, so yeah, so I work with all these people over text and voice files because Fiverr doesn't even let you send people your email address because you'll just take the business offline. You'll you'll route their 20% fee 
And I like Fiverr because it gives me a common billing platform for tax purposes and it gives me my intellectual property assurance. There's a reason they don't want you off platform transferring files. It's because you can lose your intellectual property really quick that way. So loop it all back in. I get all these ideas. I bring it to life. I come back to integrate back in. I don't even know how to integrate back into my family after being gone for a month. It's like I went and, and climbed and, and, you know, a mountain and spend a month up there as a monk. It's like truly reintegrating back in with your wife. I mean, things like just, you know, I come in the front door and she's not sure what I need to kind of continue healing, things like sure. that. So who are you now? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so best thing I can do is I identify her very quickly with uh, a life coach. Very another reason why it's so important that my path has been one of healing but I had the money to spend on a life coach who was also an ex-CIO that I worked for. She knew my style. She knew my passion. She knew how to kind of contain the lightning in the bottle. And, and she knew what was needed from a therapist and what was needed from a life coach. And there was very little by the time I went to her. She said, you're past the therapy phases. You're very self-aware. You understand these issues. You know, my job is to be the life coach, not the therapist, right? So I can say anything I want without worrying that you're going to take it the wrong way. I get to give you unfiltered advice kind of thing. So I go through that and she gave me the, the courage basically to, to believe that people would want to read these stories. And more than anything, I gave myself the courage to know that I will never regret, even though I'm going through, I made a lot of really great financial decisions early on there. And even though I'm only 39, I... I had a huge nest egg to basically drain and invest. And so, and then on top of that, the state of Alaska um, got the Alaska CARES grant. And after I let everybody else kind of went in last day, make sure everybody got their funding because I'm not rehiring people or trying to use the money to keep employed. I took the money or I was awarded the money based on the, my, my ratio of employing people is 90% of my, I don't make a dollar. I haven't made a dollar. I made a few dollars on something because people demanded I publish it so friends could get access to it, but I haven't even started marketing yet. And so here I am, 90% of my money just goes to pay artists to create things. And, and so the state of Alaska says, we need more of that. The artists are dying. They're dying. Basically. You think these other front end things are who has money to employ sketch artists for things. And so in the corporate world, they're thriving. The Marvels, the Disney's employing all these people um, in the in the gig economy world, if you will, where the majority live, if you will. They're, yeah, they're very challenging. And so yeah. I've been able to go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, it's, uh, again, just making a connection to um, like maybe the YouTube world, right? The creators there, photographers, cinematographers, yep. all that kind of stuff. Same story. Yep, absolutely. And uh, so, so. At the core of Gaia's Seed, I got my confidence back. And then while I'm writing it, uh, I start realizing, God, all my old creations, I could just flip them super quick, right? All these, these, these three series of the Jedi Brothers that I wrote, you know, I found this platform, Gumroad, where I can not publish, but I can take a PDF and quote unquote, publish it out to the world and people can pay a few dollars for it. And it's still, people don't trust it. They're like, no, I can't buy a Zelda book from you and you're going to get shut down by Nintendo soon. It's like, no, because I'm not actually, you can take this PDF and share it to anybody in the world you want. You're buying a PDF that you can give to anybody. And it gave me freedom though. I realized that I got so sick and tired of hearing how it works with publishers and all these rules. And I wanted to work on a software model, right? So all of my books are x.x.x. I'm constantly revising them. And what Gumroad allows me to do is the concept art adds 10 new images and I put new text in and it becomes 2. What is it currently? 2.1.4. And I publish 2.1.5. Everybody gets that book. 
right? And and the print world is so hard for people like me to be able to affordably print books and get them to people and work through the Amazon nightmare. I mean, Amazon is just so destructive. The KDP format of thou shalt do things in only this way has been destructive to creativity. And so basically, Aaron, while I've got this... Uh, you know, this champion product that is a part of my recovery. Um, you know, you, when you're in a lot of self-reflection and, and you're trying to figure out fear, uh, I was like, well, what's causing me so much fear for my clients? Why do I not want to go back into IT? And it was after experiencing a rash of cybersecurity breaches that are just humongous, devastating to companies. I saw the most, un, I mean, in the SMB space, you, you see me on Twitter. It's all about the small business. They just can't defend themselves yeah. fairly. Like they don't even yeah. know what a web application. You say WAF, and they're like, "What?" Like they have AF. Yeah. <laughs> One of them had a Pix a year ago. I'm just like, right. "Holy Christ, people!" Like this is so dangerous. And I just see the death of the SMB, or I see somebody like Dell creating a platform where it's almost like an SMB can buy into all services in order to survive. They know their upfront monthly reoccurring costs to just start a business. Because, man, I'm pretty good at cybersecurity, but. Dude, trying to get everything set up in my home, I have lots of lab equipment now, not just physical locks and trying to figure out IoT, setting up a firewall device, which is an amazing firewall for the home. But just getting all that set up has stretched my ability. And, and I started realizing that um, as I started worrying about cybersecurity, most of what I dealt with in cybersecurity towards the end was, was automated by artificial intelligence. And so I've always had a deep desire to learn about that, you know, go into the last partner technical advisory board and hearing Dell's vision for VX rail at the time I was just doing a couple multi-million dollar projects with getting the old 13th gen stuff swapped to 14 but I started seeing how these highly composable infrastructures were going to enable 5g in this distributed um, you know uh, short wave type of capability and that with that it's not just going to be these composable infrastructures for communication in 5g tons of analytics, this, this center of data moving out to the edge, you know, those, those trends were coming very, very quickly. And then when you're also reading every day, not just reading, but I'm attending courses from the University of California system, Davis and Berkeley and stuff like that, getting micro degrees from Coursera. When you're studying computational social science and ethics, mostly also learning, you know, all the core foundations of machine learning and all that, you start to realize we're in for a very serious problem. So without, you know, conspiracy theories and going into you know, not conspiracy, without discussing dystopian ideas of where AI goes, my focus was to train, train, my focus was to create a learning environment for nine to 13 year old kids. That's where I aimed Gaia's seed. And there's 20 core data science topics that proliferate throughout the graphic novels, books, all of it, right? And I have those 20 topics with a world builder right now. And he's doing about a thousand hours of, of documentation research. And what he's doing is I gave him about a thousand hours worth of videos, um, science journals, articles that condense science journals, blogs, you know, uh, uh, series like like um, like devs, like let's go to the quantum computing side of it, you know, series like uh, Westworld. Obviously, these references aren't available for children, but children are already saying, "Did a robot take my dad's job? Will my dad?" You know, all these dystopian things are making their way into kids' minds. And so I chose yeah. 20 core dystopian topics 
and started researching all the good things that AI does for them. And so, and I love the after school video as I'm making these after school comes out with, you know, will AI and humanity. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, guys, like, I love your videos. They're some of the best, they're some of the best digital whiteboarding ever, but kids are watching these things like crazy. And you condensed my 20 topics down into eight minutes. And so I have script writers right now working on these 20 topics. The first 30 seconds ties the concept into Gaia Seed. So for like machine learning, I'm going to spend 30 seconds on saying, you know, they predicted this existential threat coming. Agnes, the main AGI, predicted this this end to humanity coming through machine learning because in the end, AI is like a, a, you know, in in a lot of ways, once it's highly developed, is like an omen machine. It can tell you things coming. Right. And so I can give 30 seconds of of equating it into fantasy and science, which, by the way, that's what kids responded with. They said, we want there to be some way to fix all this. And the only way they saw that was through fantasy. Let's have magic help humans to get the, the, the race back on track by 2099. And so the book is about making all these mistakes. And that's why you constantly see me reaching out to AI philosophers and things like that, saying, just give me an hour of time. Let me just explain how Agnes goes from protector God to benevolent dictator to, you know, what, what, what many people in AI are seeking, which is, which is the concept of a libertarian utopia, carving up the earth or planets or solar systems for different species to live with their own rules. And so as I go through, you know, a lot of this, you know, reach out, what I'm trying to do is not sound as stupid, even though it's fantasy, the kids saw hope for humanity based on something that can fix anything magic. Right. And so but are you, are you an interdimensional future being <laughs> <laughs> like this is, this is mind blowing. How do you, and so how do you tweet? And so here's Aaron, the, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to get on here is I just wanted to talk to somebody like yourself who, yeah. who can think outside the box and realize that I'm not looking for fame. I'm not crazy. I'm not trying to, I mean, the pandering that I do and trying to reach out to people is because if I can get one person to listen to me for an hour or two, I might have a platform to where I don't have to pay FaceTube, FaceTube, Facebook, YouTube, everybody, you know, <laughs> marketing dollars to I think it's called. I think it's called U-Face. U-Face. Yeah. So I don't want it. My, my social media manager has budget set aside to, to take us out and, and basically, you know, do the blitz for the Christmas buy season. And I'm trying sure. to avoid it. Like I spent $1,000 last week buying a CD, a signed CD from Jack Johnson because I sent him that same book I sent you. And I know that if he'll just take 10 seconds to sign the CD and see Bifrost on there, he might... Yeah you know, send me an email and I'll say, Hey, did you get my package? Like, look what I'm trying to do for ocean conservation. Do you want to collaborate? Sure. I'm not asking you for anything for free. I'm asking you if you care and see what I see in this book, let's work together and help me have a voice. You know, that's wild, man, dude. So we only, we have one minute left. I know. To go. <laughs> there's, there's so many questions. Um, so we, we got to talk again, yes. but I wrote down, um, how did you meet your wife? Cause I want to know, oh, yeah. you know, the situation that you were in and, how that happened. That seems wildly interesting. Yes. What was it like walking away from technology? I know, you know, if we share this, especially with the listener base that you and I would, would likely be sharing this with on Twitter yeah. or something like that, right? Our, our social communities, they'd be deeply interested in that. Okay. I, so, I don't think anybody would, would kid themselves if they didn't say, you know, I wonder if I walked away for six months or a year or two years, what would I do and what would it be like and what would I produce? You're, yeah. you're almost kind of the hero of a, of a story like this where, um, do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So and then the other side that I feel on the other side, I feel like this freak or this person 
that everybody laughs at. I know that's not true because I've reached out to people. No. But it's so nice. So here's the emotional part, Aaron. Like just you saying that, it just means so much to me to not just not only feel normal, but feel like I could contribute something, you know? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent, man. And then the, the other side of it is, you know, if you walked away from technology and got into this kind of like freeing state, what drew you, is, is it just so much a part of who you are that the next thing you did when you're doing children's books, it's all connected to technology? Yeah, it came right back. Because it's just technology. who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just, I have 3D printers all around me. I have engravers now, 3D scanners. I'm learning how to incorporate that technology. You don't have to step away for even a month. And I know you got a hard stop, but you don't have to step away for even a month to realize that your passions filter back into technology. Yeah. Wild, man. Okay. Uh, dude, this was a massive pleasure, uh, to, to listen, yeah, to, to listen to your story and get to ask questions and, and dig in and just to get to know you better too, because, um, you've been a big contributor of what we've been doing on tech breakfast and I love um, what you're doing. I love the, you know, the blast of news and the positive atmosphere you keep. You filter too much dystopia at once. Even when I send them to you and ask you to talk about them, you don't, I love it. I, well, we try, we talk about it ahead of time. And then sometimes we, we just don't dig into it. Um, or we don't pull it up or we don't remember or whatever. Um, but we talk about you a lot behind the scenes, like beforehand. we're like, Oh wait, we need to go pull that thing from Kurt. Um, <laughs> well, the world's changing Aaron and you're doing a big service outside of what you're doing for any other reasons. I want you to know that a lot of people that are very tech illiterate, it's the first thing I say, I say just go listen to this for three or four episodes and you can filter yeah. what you want, but it's giving you trends because we're in the middle of small intelligence explosions going on right now. I know that that leans too much to singularity type of discussions, but if you, if you follow that type of discussion line, you know that they start off as small little blips and then exponentially yes. gain over the course of 10, 20 years or, you know, 10 yes. months, 10 days. You never know. That's right. Okay. Well, that helps Hard me understand time. then too. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, it helps me understand too um, why people, and this is going to sound really weird, but some days I wake up on, on days we're recording and I'm like, why in the world are people listening to us? Mm -hmm. I still want to get up and go have the conversation with my friends because it's fun. Right. Yeah. But I don't understand why we, we literally get hundreds of people listening to every episode. Everything's makes changing, no sense brother. And you're positive. You're not trying to find <laughs> the negative story and go, we should all be afraid. You know, uh, yeah. why do you think yeah. I'm calling and screaming from the rooftops? CSS and ethics. Once we have better computational yeah. social science, the program I'm in at UC Davis went up 10 X and is now the number or one of 100 of the, uh, the top courses of all time as rated by, I think like Harvard or something. Computational social science is exploding loading right now yeah okay I a hard stop i remember that life of jumping between meetings <laughs> yeah 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 well i'm grateful for you and thanks for this time i will uh, send you the recording and you let me know what you want to do with it but i'd love to publish it i'd love to publish it too let me you know what i'm not even gonna listen to it publish it <laughs> <laughs> all right buddy see you all right buddy bye